want to make it fresh, make it culturally authentic, make it healthier. My name is Louise Newsom, and you're listening to The Makers, brought to you by Trade and Prosper. On this episode, you will meet Yong Zhao, co-founder and Shui Zhang, director of real estate development and architectural design of Junzi, a small but growing restaurant chain serving northern Chinese food. Founded in 2015, Junzi grew out of a hunger for the founder's childhood staples made with healthy seasonal ingredients to be made here in the states where they now lived. Yet recreating the taste of home has done much more, understanding now how the power of food can build community and exposure to other cultures. In 2006, uh, I went to, uh, came to the United States uh, for graduate school at Yale. Um, so after I graduated from college. Right, and what were you studying in Beijing and then in, when you came to the United I States? I studied the conservation biology in the Peking University in their first liberal arts program called Yuanpei Program. It's rather called Yuanpei School. In the life science part, I specifically very interested in the environment and also animal protection uh, stuff. Uh, and then came to Yale for the environmental science major. Uh, shift a little bit from the conservation biology into more biogeochemistry, which is study carbon cycle, which is the foundation of climate change. My idea was that moment is thinking about go back to China, uh, work in the government to solve the climate or environmental problems. Um, that's a big task. Th- that's a big task. <laughs> and then eventually, I think in 2011, I started to realize, um, well, first, I think, uh, climate change or in a bigger scale, uh, global warming, it's very hard to solve only by government. And then working through government is a really hard task itself, uh, no matter even the, the think about the problem you solve. But before that, you need really climb your, your ranks in the in government, which is really risky and t- a tough task at the moment. Hmm. So I think about maybe I should uh, focus on something I'm more passionate about. At the moment, so I realize entrepreneurship is more and more become uh, something I really want to do. So 2011 is where we start really think about uh, be a startup uh, kind of uh, uh, entrepreneur uh, down the road. So that's when Junzi came about? 2011 is early. Uh, 2011 is where we start thinking about being an entrepreneur down the road, which is rare because most people in the Yale uh, environment, they want to be a, you know, in their, their career track as a professor or uh, you know, work in the banking or consultant. Um, but for us, uh, being an entrepreneur is kind of something really far away. We don't even know where to start. So 2011, we started with, okay, if we want to do a business uh, as an entre- like entrepreneur level, uh, it's an innovative business, but first startup, we need to do a business, understand a business. Because before that, I'd never been to any company, work for anybody. Mm. So I think 11, we, uh, me and my, uh, my, my wife, uh, all graduated from Yale. And she graduated from Yale at the moment. We start to do this little frozen yogurt franchisee thing. That was an interesting venture uh, to start to learn the basic things, cash management, right? <laughs> dealing with real estate, dealing with lawyers. Now, we'd never been there before. We only deal with our you know, advisors. <laughs> Right. Well, the first one was really popular. Uh, we opened the second and third one. But until the third one, we we'll start to realize it's not because we're brilliant to make a store great, it's because the market needed and there are no supplies. 
And then, and by the by the time we opened the third store, everybody opened frozen yogurt down the block. Like somebody opened the five together, like within the same small town. Like people realized, oh wow, like this becomes really packed. So everybody basically ran out of business when we opened the store in 2000, uh, 2012. So the first store still opens right now. We still have it. <laughs> um, but I think we closed the third one after half year. And we closed the second one after like four or five years. Basically run off the term of the, the lease. By that moment, we realized um, business is something, uh, it's very complicated, but in the meantime, it's simple as you have to be in the kind of monopoly side of the supply part. Uh, to, you have to have innovation to have an entry barrier to make the combination or replication of your business. It's not that easy. What learnings did you take from that to understand how you could build out Gen Z and make it different and make it stand up? Well, it's out. a huge learning first for international uh, students who study in the school to learn the basics, even dealing with just the whole environment as an average American went through. Because we've never been to, well, it's a, it's a, every tower we've been at Yale, right? Everything's nice, the building is old and beautiful, right? And you have enough fundings for the interest of science. But when you deal with the reality, you see people have struggling with minimum wages. So all these things to think about a business model, think about competitions, think about how can I make sure the ecosystem I'm trying to create uh, with the, the idea trying to have, how to survive in the reality. And because innovation is a basically central, the heart of this uh, entrepreneurship. So we have to understand the reality to think about innovation from the reality. Otherwise, you'll be out of touch. So I think that overall learning of the basic business, uh, the, how tough the actual the business environment is, and have some meaningful uh, relationship with our partners it's very important from off, uh, off, the, off the bat when we start the Jinzi, uh, because Jinzi is start with uh, big ideas, but it start grow through these little things such as we need to open the first store, we need to negotiate first lease, and that's very hard as well. So for us, as we've been learning, we've been through, uh, it's similar to every immigrant, that you have to learn fast, as fast as you can. Uh, you have to be very humble. Um, and you have to be willing to learn a lot of new things, understand other people. So for me, it's like a little practice every day is, I, start, I, I started to stop uh, watching like Chinese uh, movies, contents, start really merging to the whole all English environment to, to basically watch all the talk shows, you know, Stephen Colbert shows, to be able to learn all the jokes. <laughs> Hopefully right? good talk shows. Yeah, 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 all good talk shows, right? Like start learning, oh, if, if I don't get the jokes, Maybe I'm still outsider, right? I still really learn all the small talks, right? Um, learn all the uh, movie, music, uh, sports, to understand why people talk about it, what's the big deal about it, all these names, all the histories, stories, to really merge into this environment to be, be able to, in the future, lead an American company. Because uh, otherwise, I cannot really understand what my teammates want or think about what's good and bad. As, as a CEO of the company, I'm become more leader. So I have to be really connect with the people I'm together with. So being connected is very important, very important so that I have to learn how they grew up. Right. <laughs> yeah, on the top of what I grew up with. <laughs> so I do have two lives, right? It's two worlds. <laughs>
Right, but, I, but, but that could be, well, and I believe, because I'm also not from this country, it's a positive. Yeah, it's a definitely positive. I mean, you're broader, a yeah. broader thinker yes. by the end of it, right? Yes, yes. So in the leadership theory, you have to be a second born. So you have born again to be able to lead a great company. So I think for all the immigrants team members from our uh, team, we all had a kind of second born life already being set up. Young, what have uh, some of the biggest challenges been for you as a founder and co-owner of Gen Z? There is a challenge, a common challenge entrepreneurs. So it's basically, you don't have enough resources, do the thing you want to do. And then every, you have very limited time, limited budget. As a team, we basically work six days a week for the first four years of this. Um, and for me, I still work like that way to really make it work. We do have a challenge of immigration status, how to find a visa, stuff like that. Um, because although we already um, created more than 100 jobs in America, but um, it's very hard for us to easily find a visa without spending too much time on it, too much money on it. Um, that's another part of current immigration in America is like really hard. Um, and also Chinese food, because when people learn about China or uh, talk about Chinese food, they have all the kind of existing stereotypes about it. So um, it's just hard to change it or hard to say, hey, we have something new and better, and that's more true. So uh, you have to change or battle with people's already fixed stereotypes about us, right? About all, it's similar to all the immigrants right? in America, it's like that. You have the little box you've been contained with, <laughs> and now you're saying, we're gonna break it because that's not true, uh, or it's just too small. <laughs> our basically idea from the very beginning is we want to get our communication all in-house together. Because as I mentioned, the biggest challenge is about that little bandwidth usually to give a Chinese brand. That little things you have to play with existing icons, stereotypes. Uh, you have to break it, but not totally just break too much and people start to, I don't understand that, right? Right. Um, so communication was the most important challenge and also opportunity for us. So from the very beginning, we have all the designers, all the marketers, PR, all together to create different message. From the drawing, the first little sketch, to the architectural design, to the branding narratives, and to the PR pieces, it's all done in-house to make sure it's all integrated together. So that's one of the biggest innovation because in 2015, we had one interesting Chinese food conferences in uh, in a, a kind of longhouse revival event um, by uh, one of the columnists from New York Times. Um, so we find out in this Chinese food conference, there's no Chinese there. Talk about it. People who create the food doesn't have the voices. So you have to really take the grab on the voice part. From messaging, from the way you can tell to who, mm -hmm. that part of things, from design, you have to control all together. So that's very important for the whole team to build on that innovation. But of course, it, the risk is, it may be overkill, maybe it doesn't work, maybe we're too early for this, maybe it costs too much, and that, that's all the risk of being a startup uh, venture creation part. Mm -hmm.
The Makers is brought to you by Trade and Prosper. Here we share the stories of individuals and businesses that make our communities. We believe in those who are committed to doing well by doing good, using their hands, minds and hearts to create a better place for us all and believe that a little sweat and a lot of sharing turns a community into a populace of prosperity. Trade and Prosper is a forum where those like-minded individuals meet to trade ideas, information, goods and services, as well as build long-lasting relationships that enable them to expand their reach locally and also globally. For more information on our organization and for more podcast episodes, head over to tradeandprosper.com. Follow us on social media for the latest news and events about businesses near you. So thinking about your business development dollars and where you put it, where would you say your top two areas are? The biggest part is always uh, for the construction cost. Uh, Building uh, stores in America, especially a new store, that we have to allow a lot of errors and innovations is very costly. Especially come to New York (laughs) from New Haven. It's very rare for a company from other towns come to New York and survive and really thrive in New York. And we made it because we have all the resources allocated. We have all the time spent on it, very hardworking, and all the talent we have to make it work. Um, but in the meantime, that's one of the largest spending for us. Um, but also keep the team. Keep the team that usually doesn't exist in the restaurant business. It's very important. So it's not only from, from, from the kind of uh, uh, monetary perspective, you need to spend more money, capital on it, to support a larger team than usual, um, than a restaurant group. But in the meantime, you have to keep growth. So when people stay in a the team, they have to see, I'm doing something great. So I see the trajectory is rising so much, I feel the, the, the future is very bright. So we have to keep the whole trajectory grow really fast. So it push really hard to grow as well. So that's another part. Like, you have to make a business model work for this whole system to make the talent stay, in the meantime grow organically. Um, not everyone is ready for a startup environment. So we choose the one who is passionate about it or who think, oh, I think my corporate life is so boring, I want something more fulfilling. I feel more ownership with it. Uh, ownership, not only from the feeling of I'm doing this, I own it, but also we do give options for every team members as a startup company. So we're not like uh, two owners own everything, but everybody else is just employee. Everybody is basically owner, a piece of that. And they give opportunity to investment because as a, a team member, you know a company growing has a lot of hope, uh, opportunities. You kind of, oh, financially, maybe I can also invest my saving into this. So in the future, I get more returns as well. That's another way to do this. But in the meantime, people really enjoy working at a place that I work with a few, the brightest people I know, and on something nobody done before. That's itself a very unique challenge because you only have one life to do, you live with, and then doing something new and important is very important to a lot of people's life. 70% of our customer um, is non-Asian American who appreciates our food and service experiences without even knowing too much about Chinese culture. But we kind of start, start to build a new level of food um, experience based on the giant shoulder, right? <laughs> so we know the importance of consistencies 
And then we start thinking about, on top of that, how we want everyday food uh, be there all the time like that, and you can trust. But in the meantime, we'll make it fresh, make it um, culturally authentic, make it healthier. But in the meantime, that's kind of the food I remember as well from my family I grew up with. Because in China, when we were growing up in the 80s and 90s, food is basically locally sourced and seasonal because we don't have other choices. <laughs> Um, and also cook from, from mom. You don't have McDonald's to go to. So start really thinking about the memories, although it costs so much time for my family to cook the food for me. Um, but we still appreciate the quality, how much kind of uh, emotions every food is involved with. Um, so we start thinking about the memories, start thinking about why don't we have that kind of food that created based on this kind of new form of uh, business model that we can make everybody's life easier, but with a better taste and also very authentic Chinese flavor. So that's why I was trying to start with Jinzi is about the idea. At that moment, think about food I have a memory with and think about gap we have in about Chinese food in America and think about how we can make my friends, American friends, happier because I can serve them better food. That trimbing and that noodle bowl is always good because you can put together different things and it's all very simple and put all together is in the sauces and that's great flavor every day. So these foods that I think about, okay, I've already been very consistent in China with kind of a home cooking environment, but down the road you can make it better, then it could be very consistent. Also still very delicious. We can find a few things that actually work in our current environment. So that will work. So, I mean, the noodles are pretty self-explanatory, but the bing, is this a traditional Yes. Food, right. And did you, did you manipulate it in any way for the American market or is it pretty much as it's made in China? Definitely we add kale. <laughs> <laughs> we have to. Need an MP? Shui, you're the director of real estate development and architectural design for Gen Z. Yes, so I graduated from uh, Beijing's Tsinghua University uh, in 2012. So just to give, give you a sense, it's, it's like a, a Chinese version of I, MIT. That's how they think about Tsinghua in uh, China. So there's uh, a, lot, a lot of emphasis on uh, technology and also making uh, physical things done or happen uh, uh, in my in my education backgrounds. So after uh, graduation, I went to Tibet to finish my uh, final thesis project. It's a small uh, community center um, as part of the kind of reconstruction for the whole area because that area uh, was under uh, suffered from earthquake uh, earlier. So. That is the moment that really exposed myself to the reality of getting something designed and built and working with the local workers and uh, the clients, the government, and making something into reality. And that's a big learning. So that's kind of transformed the way I think about design, what design can do, what it means to the local people, and how design as a way of transforming the reality can uh, can shape the local culture. I think it's a, it's a really a great thing. And then, oh, actually, I deferred my uh, uh, graduate study uh, back, back, back in 2013 because I want to finish this uh, this project. 
So after the completion of that project, I uh, went to the United States and continued my graduate study in uh, Cornell University. It's also uh, architecture design. And after graduated, uh, I went to work for a, a big corporate firm. It's called Paycop Freight. I was founded by one of the kind of most uh, recognizable uh, American architect. His name is I.M. Pei. That is the moment I, I, I kind of learned uh, the whole process of how uh, the design has been put together to be understandable by all the parties, including the, uh, the, the builders and, uh, and the government and owners, and uh, make it into reality in the American context. That is a totally different system and uh, a totally different uh, mechanism of how things get built uh, from where I am from. So uh, that's a great learning. At the meantime, I get to know the Junzi people, and I start doing some side projects as a, as a start, and it, it, uh, gradually that grows into what we're doing today. I am a sort of uh, invented the structure of a corporate design uh, office, uh, so that is a, that's emphasized on a very systematic way of designing and get something built uh, very efficiently. Uh, that's very different from the way. Uh, I worked on the Tibetan project, but Junzi, I think, is is closer to the uh, Tibetan project side. It's more like really hands-on, and especially uh, we had a very small team uh, at that moment, so we uh, we have to work out everything from uh, kitchen design, kitchen equipment sourcing, all the way to like uh, furniture designing and lighting selections, everything, and working out all the plumbing, electric with the local contractors. There's a lot of on-site changes uh, during the process. Actually, Yung was helping with the site supervision. Back in the days, we, we started the first store, uh, designing the first store in New Haven. Uh, like we have very uh, little information or knowledge about how to design a restaurant because it's like the first time for all of us. So we, uh, we did a lot of research and also uh, we got Quite some uh, assistance from from friends and consultants. So there's a, there's a very good metaphor uh, saying so being an architect designer or a, a designer, you're actually dancing with a chain. So it's always about balance between aesthetic uh, building aesthetic experience uh, versus uh, the functionality uh, of the of the design result. So that's especially important for. A restaurant business. At, 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 on, on the one hand, you are creating the kind of uh, optimize the uh, hospitality experience for your customer. You want people to get in and also enjoy their time in the store. But at the meantime, you try to uh, make the overall uh, operation flow to be as efficient as possible. So the way we do it is actually there's a there's always a di distinction between the front top, front of house, and back of house. And the way to deal with two separate areas are very different. Uh, back of house is, is really about efficiency, and we're in the continuous process of uh, trying to have a better understanding of, of our own operational flow uh, through communication with our operation uh, team and also with our chef. We're always changing, like every, uh, for the last two years, like we're changing every two months to make these things more efficient, and we're building a a standard as well. Uh, front of house is, is more, f uh, I would say, more 
artistic at the beginning, but uh, because of the way we uh, we envision our brands, as Yong just mentioned, we're looking for another 200 or 2,000 stores. So we're building a, a, also a kind of system uh, that can uh, can make the brand duplicate, but at, at the same time evolve by itself. It's like a, a component or module-based system uh, with a building flexibility of, we say, 30% that can addressing the locality when you're moving to different neighborhoods. But that is, in general, the way um, we're designing the whole system. But uh, I think because we're we're in this millennial uh, era and uh, the aesthetic tendency and people's um, uh, people's reference uh, uh, preferences are are changing. So really think about building something that can change uh, through time as well. Uh, we did the Bleecker store very specifically. Uh, to address the, the local culture and vibe of Bleecker Street, West Village, that's so unique in the whole was New York City um, context. The Bleecker store, we designed the bifolding door. That's where we met on the street. We did. So this is really important, the uh, kind of embracing the, uh, the street life um, of the, uh, the West Village. This is very important, especially from, from my architecture background. There was a, a, a very... Uh, Kind of recognizable scholar, Jean Jacobs. Uh, she used to live here, and she thought um, West Village is kind of the uh, the best example of uh, modern cities. The scale of the street and uh, uh, the street level activity, and which is very uh, beneficial to the retails and to the uh, to the local um, business owners. That's people um, today realized what is the the more pleasant way that the city environment can accommodate people's living. Thank you for joining me this week on The Makers, brought to you by Trade and Prosper. Follow us on your preferred listening channel for new episodes released every Monday. Tune in next week for a conversation with Carolyn Ray about her journey through fine art to starting Carolyn Ray Incorporated a company that designs and produces original, modern, handmade, classic interior fabrics and wall coverings. <laughs>